Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to all of you spellcasters and planeswalkers all throughout the magic multiverse. It is wonderful to see that you have traveled here to the Unlucky Lounge in historic Monoscrew Manor for yet another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of this here fine local establishment, spinning to you the smooth stacks of jazz wax since 2009, because this podcast literally started less than like three months ago. But... I'm not alone in this endeavor, no. I am going to be mustering and striving with my best bear companion, my bear tender giving us those best of spirits, the highest of drafts, and if you're having a bad day, he can get you some help and some good wine as well. His name is Borok. Borok, how are we doing this night tonight? Now don't you worry about that, my bear buddy. I'm going to follow up with the promise that I made last episode with today's Cory story time. But before we get to it, a few bits of upkeeping and housekeeping. First off, this episode is brought to you by Believe.com, the whole Believe podcast network. Check them out at their website, or you can download their content wherever you find your podcasting fun. And of course... This episode is brought to all of you following me on social media at Draft and Draft Corey or on my Instagram at Corey Damone Enriquez. And additionally, this podcast is brought to all of you who have visited us at Patreon.com. Thanks, patrons, for joining in and helping the Unlucky Lounge thrive and strive. And if this show has given you some fun, feel free to check us out. We got tiered benefits, and if we've given you a few laughs to help you out on your travels throughout the multiverse, then come and swing on by. But I promise you, this episode and all after that always are going to be free of charge. So please tune in, subscribe, give us ratings wherever you can find us, and let us make this bartending fun become a community made up of all of my unlucky lounge rats. While all of our housekeeping is done, the sorcerer's broom is put back into the conjurer's closet, and so we can get to today's topic at hand. This story time is a bit of a hanging chad, and no, it's not going to affect our next 2020 election. No, this hanging chad was a little spoiler, a little hint of what was to come, an Easter egg based off of our draft and draft Hall of Fame episode. You see, I wanted to talk about one of the more iconic cards, a card that truly defines what it means to be a common or uncommon that deserves being remembered throughout formats because of just how impactful it was on its limited format. It's a black card. It's got a lot of keyword mechanics, a CMC of three. What card could it be? But a lot of you out there have already figured it out, but for those of you playing the game right now, I'll give you a few seconds to think. Well, what card could it possibly be? Time is up. The answer, if you know it, say it with me. Vampire Nighthawk. Today's story is about such a card and my interesting interaction throughout my first Grand Prix experience all the way back 
in the original Zendikar block. But before we get into our story time, tradition must always hold true. So if you're not traveling between planes, you have yourself parked, you're ready to relax to the max, I want you to hold up a drink, say a cheers as we begin the tradition known as the untapped step. First step down, first gulp done. Let's get to the upkeep of our story. The year was 2009. Barack Obama was sworn in as president. Inglorious Bastards came out, was a phenomenal film, cleaned up at the Academy Awards. I was a young man in the middle of college and the set is Zendikar, the first Zendikar set that came out at the later part of the year. Now, I was, at that point, starting to become more of a lifestyle gamer. I had my friends that I all met through the game, I had my local game stores, had that basement draft location, and boy oh boy was I really starting to love the idea of Limited. But I wasn't quite at that point where I was starting to look so far forward to figure out what it was that I was going to plan for trips, for PTQs. I knew they existed, but I also knew it wasn't really in my ability to start traveling distances, to go to Grand Prix, try to cash in some big event, or maybe earn pro tour glory and qualify through a local PTQ. I was very much into becoming competitive, but I wasn't at that level yet. Now, I don't quite remember how it was that it came about, but I just remember one of my friends saying, are you going to the Grand Prix this weekend? I dismiss it out of hand like, nah, I am a broke college student and there's no way that I was gonna be able to attend some massive Grand Prix event. And then they looked at me and regarded me like I was some kind of absolute moron, saying, you're going to miss out on a Grand Prix that's happening in your own hometown? Folks, I was oblivious. I thought, no, there's no way we're going to get an event out here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But sure enough, there was a Grand Prix that was happening that weekend, and I had no clue even though it was just a hop, skip, and a jump away. And so, without much more convincing beyond that, I thought to myself, alright, let's find a few bucks, sell a few cards, and find our way into the Grand Prix. Now, I registered, and of course got that day of registration fee that's, for some reason, five extra dollars than what it would be if you registered online. But hey, I was young, I still wasn't making that's one of my takeaways from this episode. The little bit of research that you have to put in to try and make a schedule for your life is way, way worth it when it comes to the overall event of being prepared for going out to an event. Plus, it's kind of fun to do some research and figure out where you can make something work. Plus, when you get a good airline flight, it's definitely worth the time and effort. Other side note, sign up for airline points surprise what you can get out of it. Anyway, that's the upkeep for the story. I'm young, I'm ignorant, I literally just learned about this Grand Prix probably on the Thursday and the event happened on a Saturday. So let's go ahead and skip ahead to that Saturday and move into the draw step. 
In the draw step today, let's talk about the entire title of the episode, the day the swamp dried out. What in the world does this have to do with my story of going to my local Grand Prix? Well, it was day one. We had all received our sealed pools and we did the whole crazy Yankee swap that they used to do, opening up the packs registering the pool, then passing it one to the left, one across, do a little tip-tap-toe, a hokey-pokey, turn yourself around, that's what it's all about, kind of jazz business. Pools are passed, and we got everything. I remember setting my cards out, and at this point, everyone knows Zendikar is a particularly aggressive limited format. The success is all about trying to get your one drops that can attack for four and killing your opponent before turn four comes around. And I recall having this deck out, trying to figure out what to do with it. It wasn't particularly strong. There wasn't a lot of the pieces that was needed. Had a few of the good removal spells like Burst Lightning, a Hideous End or two, although Hideous End was not necessarily the best card in the format because it didn't answer the best card in the format. That card, of course, being the iconic Vampire Nighthawk. A Vampire Nighthawk actually ends up having some additional text on it that I had no idea about. What is this text, you ask? Well, it turns out that Vampire Nighthawk says, Target players during the construction phase of your limited seal pool needs to go and get as many swamps as you possibly can before the time expires because there's a limited availability of swamps in your entire gaming event. This is to say, folks, that midway through deck construction, I remember it vividly. An announcement came up on the PA system that said, players, please make sure that you are utilizing any lands that you might possibly have on you because we have run out of swamps. That's right, fellow Planeswalkers, this was a full stop. And what made things even worse? Well, I looked down at my card pool and clearly saw that, well, I was gonna be playing black as a main color. So what's the solution, you ask? Well, the answer was to go into my bag, pull out a standard deck I had built, start de-sleeving all the swamps from it, and place them ever so gently into my very janky red-black sealed pool. So friends, this was already a big event, and just barely by the skin of my teeth did I finish my deck construction on time. I thought to myself, okay, all the cards aligned enough to make my life quite particularly difficult, and we haven't even started playing Magic yet. I sat down across my first opponent, quite resigned, and very easily went 0-2. My mind wasn't ready for it. I had just tried to put all these swamps out of sleeves into other sleeves to get my deck ready to even make it for a chance to not get a round loss. Well, we started off our day 0-1. Where else to go from there? Well, let's go ahead and move into the main step of the story. Well, the games began to come together. We were 0-1. Got another round win after that, going to 1-1. One one. Apparently I put on an Australian accent to say that. 
I don't know. Well, after that, we just started scrambling. Got another win, got another loss. It was 2-2. Just barely was I kind of winning games and scratching things out, because I recall this deck was not so great. It was full of maybe five to six really good cards, a bunch of mediocre cards, and a few real stinkers at 21, 22, and 23. But that's something about old school magic that I want to take a second to address. Back in the days of Zendikar, Shards of Alara, and even somewhat into the Return to Ravnica block, Having been my main time for drafting and playing in a limited environment, it made me very, very good at playing with really, really bad cards. Today, well, limited standards have really raised quite a lot. The power creep is real, but the good news is this power creep I'm talking about isn't in the strength of rares like Oko. No, the power creep of the commons and uncommons, the cards that usually don't even get touched in standard or modern or pioneer formats. They made these commons and uncommons strong in modern day magic, which allowed us to have more interesting and intricate games of limited. And I think this is a wonderful change for the better that WotC has put into play in its most recent R&D design of their sets. Keep the power level of the commons and uncommons up. Make the synergy super high. This allows one of the most important formats in the game of Magic to become stronger without having any resonant impact on the constructed formats around it. So back to my GP efforts in the original Zendikar block at my local GP. I think all that is good in the verse that I had my friends. Because your friends can be such an important resource for you when you're going and playing eight rounds of magic in a single day. Being able to rally with each other, lament on tough losses, have good and honest feedback about your decks. I would have not been able to make it through that day without my friends like Matthias and Jason and Jesse, Forrest and even Corey and Alan. Names that will always kind of stay with me because they were the people to raise you up even in the tough times. And the truth is, I'm going to give them all the credit in the world because of miracle of miracles, I scratched and scraped and ended up making it to day two on an X and two record in my very first Grand Prix. That's right, all of my listeners, this is most assuredly a mini-dance break. Let's see you, Unlucky Lounge Rats. Let's get that Chandelar shimmy. Borak, I think it's very clear that I'm doing an awesome victory dance right now. Um, actually, I think I'm quite cool. I'd say that I'm even cooler than a polar bear. Okay, okay, Borok. Don't be so sensitive. I'll just leave the bear humor to you. Day one, done. Qualified for day two. But what's in store? Let's go to the attack step. So here's this guy. Let's call him Corey. Makes it to day two. Wasn't even going to go to the Grand Prix in the first place. And here I am, limping, albeit with a chance to make money off of playing the game that I love? 
Well, in order to just get to day two, I had an obstacle. I was working on Sunday. I had a job at Borders Bookstore and a boss that was very not okay with us skipping shifts. I called her up and promptly she said, you have to find your own replacement. And so came the carousel of phone calls. Calling here, calling there, who is going to replace me on my work shift to just get a chance to play some more magic? Have you ever been in a place where you couldn't do something because of something so small and felt so negligible? I felt powerless. In fact, I wasn't even sure if I was going to get a chance to play and get my work shift covered until about 11 o'clock at night when someone finally said that they could make my shift go away. Thank all that's in the verse. Something was finally on my side. And so with not a lot of sleep due to some own personal excitement and fervor about this coming day, I went into day two of the GP. Now, for my unlucky lounge rats out there who have never been to a Magic Fest or Grand Prix as we called it back in the day, you'll find that day two is conversely different than day number one. Day one is a sealed experience where you put together your cards and play a deck a bunch of times. So much so you get sick of the deck and just wish you could play literally anything else. But day two is a series of two drafts before a cut to top eight. And these drafts are completely different. Different not so much in what you draft, but how you draft. And I was ill prepared for it. For you see, these drafts are a called draft. What that means is someone gets on the PA system or a judge stands by a table and they announce a fixed amount of time in which you can take your pick from the pack. It starts off with a minute, and then the time slowly decreases as the pack continues on. Additionally, you're not allowed to look at your cards as you draft them. So there are two big factors at hand. One is a time restriction, and another is needing to remember the cards that you were picking. Now, one of my friends, mentioned this to me briefly before we got to the actual draft events. So I had maybe a few seconds to at least collect my thoughts and know that I had to make sure I had a curve consideration going on. I could remember certain things and different backdoor exit strategies in case colors weren't panning out and try to readjust my mind thinking when it comes to drafting for higher stakes and with people that know a little bit more about the draft format than I'm used to at my local game stores. Now let's talk about these two drafts in this iconic Zendikar block. And I remember the first pick of my first pack of draft number one. It was a choice between two cards. One was a red common removal spell called Burst Lightning. It's one red for an instant, it deals two damage to any target, and then you can kick it for four colorless mana, and then instead Burst Lightning deals four damage. Great modal spell that can go up the curve or stay on curve depending on what you need out of it. Later on, it would be reprinted and it would actually be called Shivan Fire in the Dominaria set. Now that was one of my choices. The other choice 
was one of my favorite cards from that limited format called Kadanzu Blademaster. Its cost? White White for a creature ally human soldier. It has the text First Strike and Vigilance, and whenever it or another ally enters the battlefield, you put a counter onto Kadanzu Blademaster. Essentially, the first time you play it, it becomes a 2-2 First Strike and Vigilance card, and then it grows for each and every other ally that was played. The common narrative about this format, and of course going back to the title of this episode, is that the swamp ruled the day, particularly because of Vampire Nighthawk. So much so that people had to think about the format almost around this card. What could interact with Vampire Nighthawk? Can you play your own? Do you have things to interact with it? There was only a finite number of common removal spells that could efficiently and reasonably deal with it, one of which was Burst Lightning. So taking that card first is not outside the realm of possibilities. It gives you a way to interact with perhaps the strongest strategy and most assuredly the best uncommon in the format. However, I had my own mentality. I had my own feelings. I wanted to draft proactively. I didn't want to sit back passively and just say, oh, I have to have everything answer Vampire Nighthawk. With that being true, I took the Kadanzu Blademaster, and from there, I started looking for any and all ally triggers that I could potentially play off of this first pick. To me, this was a miser pick. This was a future investment. If I could slant hard into allies, I could really split into multiple different colors, and I ended up with a red-white deck that was quite serviceable. At the end of this draft, I ran into my friend Matthias Hunt, and he was watching me from a distance. This might be the first time I ever recall being birded, because, hey, when I was with my friends in the basement drafting, well, I wasn't really the person to watch. There were people that were quite a lot better than I. But I remember him watching me and asking me about this first pick all the way back then, and I told him my theory, and it was a wonderful discussion. Which car do you pick over the other? And in the end, I still stand by, at the time, picking something more proactive, building to a strategy. A common lesson that we all learn nowadays in the modern version of Magic's limited environment. Now, if I were to go back and take a look at that pick from a bit of an outside perspective, I might not do the same thing that I did way back in 2009. I'm a bit more seasoned bit more veteran, and I don't know if I'd pass up such good, efficient modal removal spell like I did back then, but I really wanted to take a chance and not feel like I had to be forced into playing some variant of a good Black X deck. Deck came together, had a lot of good allies, had some decent removal, ended up with the Journey to Nowhere, which is the O-Ring creature variant, and in my first draft of the GP, I went 3-0. This really felt good. I was in contention for actually having a money finish. In the end, that first pick was such an interesting conversation and truly defined not only what the format itself was, but also the true value of personal assessment and personal taste. We can all look at a card like Vampire Nighthawk and try to make every single pick fit into that. 
but there is something to say about our own personal investment in a format. Our own personal theories should be validated. And I feel pretty good still to this day about making that pick. It may not be the most optimal pick and it might be kind of risky considering that I took a white, white card right out of the gates and make myself a little less open. But I still remember the rush of that pick, the weight being weighed into it in those waning 60 seconds of the called draft. And that was a high that would stay with me forever. And that's a high that I continue to chase and still chase to this day. So then what happened with the rest of this GP? Well, at this point I was already X2 from day number one, and I knew I was in no chance for contention for top eight, but I didn't much matter. I was playing Magic, having a ball, and making some really high-stake choices that still stick with me today. My next draft deck started off quite strong. I had a Day of Judgment, which is the Wrath of God variant in Zendikar, and I ended up getting past a Vampire Nighthawk, the first one I had all limited weekend. And even though I had made choices to not let Vampire Nighthawk completely define how I was going to make my decisions, I still was not foolish enough to not take it when I saw it in my next draft. All in all, after draft 2 of day 2 ended, I ended up with a black-white deck with some okay removal, some pretty decent creatures, a light ally theme. Game 1, I ended up winning, and then game 2 was such a, I don't know what the word is, but I'll say an epic yarn, a journey just to make it through the entire endeavor. Me and my opponent, game one, game two, split into game number three. I remember I had a strong start. There was a hill giant black ally, I forget the name off the top of my head, that grew every time you played another ally. I remember I had him, I had a strong curve going in with some Andu clerics, gaining a bunch of life, making a big guy. And then I started drawing lands till the cows came home. But this was a bit of a somewhat controlly matchup, not as aggressive as most other limited matches in that Zendikar block would be. And it went on so long that we were one of the final games that finished in that round. And that's when I got another taste of the high. I remember being surrounded by 20, 30 players, each of us, flanked by great individuals that I had played before in game stores and seen around the event hall. That rush of being watched while being played, it's unparalleled. Everyone kind of is super interested in each choice, while kind of nerve-wracking with so many eyes on you, still felt elevated. I felt alive. I felt electric. I ended up losing that round and finished the whole weekend on X and 3. Got some money out of the entire event and walked away with a smile. Being said, in the final round, I did split with my opponent. I split with him, and then I realized a rule that I still hold true to this day. Unless it's for some kind of massive, big, crazy top eight kind of payout. I just want to play the game. This was before PayPal or Venmo. So waiting for the checks to roll in from Hasbro and then having his address and then sending the check out just felt like more work than it was actually worth. Regardless of my money pot sharing woes, the weekend ended 
with me seeing magic from a completely different perspective. Let's go ahead and move to the end step. So what kind of conclusions did I reach from this random GP that ended up being quite fruitful for me? First off, high level magic is insanely crazy fun. I never thought I'd be so super competitive. I watch people at the pro tours and the coverage and the Twitch feeds, listen to the announcers, and I just kind of let it be what it was. Thought I'd never be in that kind of realm. But after engaging with it, being a part of it, it was a blast. It was a privilege, and it was something that I would continue to search for. I would drive from Minneapolis to Austin, Texas, trying to chase this magic playing high. I would go out to further PTQs, losing tragically in round one of Return to Ravnica, final top eight limited pairings. And I would eventually make it once more to day two of another GP. But folks, that's another story for a different episode. One more conclusion, and we're gonna bring it back to the title the day the swamp dried out. Now and forevermore, I always keep on me my own set of basic lands because I never want to have to worry about being frantic, having to unpack a standard deck to get the lands that I need and just barely make it on time for my first round pairings. And as a tribute to this whole affair, I still have with me my original Zendikar full art lands that I use for every single one of my limited paper events, be it large GPs or local game store drafts. It's just something that I'll always have. Well, folks, that's the end of our story here this week on Draft and Draft. I want to know about your own GP memories. Do you have a story that brings you back to magic lore's past gone by, or perhaps you have some kind of ambition yourself. But I want to know, so reach out to me on social media at Twitter. Draft and Draft Corey is my handle. You can find me on Instagram at Corey Damone Enriquez, or give me your story at our Patreon, Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. Well, folks, I've reached the bottom of my can, and so we've reached the end of our episode. So all of my Planeswalkers out there, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Draft and Draft. We sure hope you walk your way back here soon, as we've got more magic stories to tell. So in the meantime, go and make some stories of your own, and we'll check you next week. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. 
So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.